Welcome to Oasis. Right? No? Maybe? Just me? Yeah. There it is. Let's go. Um, (laughs) uh, We are starting a new series tonight, and it's called Learn to Live. And we're going to be looking at the life of Elijah. Uh, Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament. His story starts off in 1 Kings. And as we were praying through and planning just the entire year for sermons and asking God to lead, okay, what do you want us to talk about? Where do you want us to go? What is the word and words and teachings that you need us to hear? Not only for you guys coming as as young adults and college students living in this world, but also even just for me as we rest with the Father, recognizing that he desires to speak. And every time that we, we gather is an intentional time for us to hear from the Lord, to be encouraged from him, resting in his heart, knowing he is for us and not against us. And yes, I did shave my head. I know I maybe look like I lost weight. I didn't. So, or I look like I gained weight because my head's smaller. I don't know. Could be a bunch of different stuff. So we're praying through figuring out, okay, what are we, <laughs> super weird tangent. <laughs> what are we going to talk about? And I knew like the idea of looking in scripture, of being able to have the word speak to us and going through um, specific portions of scripture and allowing God to, to just illuminate what he has for us in his word was something important that I wanted to do. And, and we want to look at the Old Testament and New Testament and the Old Testament uh, passages and scriptures that we, we chose were wanting to look at the story of Elijah. And we, we titled this series, Learn to Live, because just like Elijah, we live in a culture that overwhelmingly seems and appears, and I think is, anti-God. Definitely anti-Christian. Sometimes anti-Jesus. I've had conversations with people who, they're okay with Jesus, They just don't like the people that love him a lot. Elijah, if we look into his story, lived in a culture that was similar. That was anti-God. Or where they wanted just a little bit of God. And then they want to add a bunch of other stuff. And so trying to figure out how to live in a culture like that that is against you seemingly to pour negativity about who you are and who God is. We need to navigate that. And there's no better person in my mind and in our mind as we're praying through than to look at in the person of Elijah. And what's amazing about Elijah is we're going to read stories of the power of God on display and how he moved, how he worked, and the relationship that he had with the Father. And all these things that we read, for me, I have a temptation to read them and to think, okay, that's Elijah a prophet of the Old Testament, anointed by God to do incredible things in that moment in time. And my temptation is to say, I can't do this stuff like that. But we read in the New Testament, James says, Elijah was a man just like us. He had the same struggles and trials and, and temptations and testings that we have as humans, as people, and as followers of God. And in the midst of being a man just like us, Elijah did things that on the surface and just reading them are absolutely incredible. And what I want us to take away over the next five weeks as we read these stories and hear these sayings is to know that as we humbly get before the Father, as we practice humble obedience the way that Elijah did, we can be like him. 
And then in being like him, we can fulfill our unique purpose that God has for us, for God's glory. And then we can find significance for our life. Because Elijah was a man just like us. We can do the things Elijah did because the same spirit that moved through Elijah is the same spirit that lives in us. And that's an incredibly encouraging thing. So, if you have your Bible, we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 17. If you have a phone, pull it out. We're going to do a lot of scripture reading over the next five weeks. Before I read any scripture, what I want to do is give a little context about really what is 1 Kings. And I say this in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and we say all these things. 1 and 2 Kings originally, in the Old Testament, as you read your Bible, 1 and 2 Kings was originally one book. And it was written for Israel, for the followers of God, to give a history of the monarch of Israel. To give a history of the kings that lived in this specific time for Israel and for God. All of the kings that Israel had outside of two, which were the first king, Saul, and then the second king, David, are all found in the previous two books, First and Second Samuel. But in First and Second Kings, we get this history. This history of the kings that were appointed by God to try to lead God, to, or try to lead the people into where God was desiring them to go, to try to help the people follow the ways of the Lord, to try to help the people not fall away and be tempted by the other nations around them, by the other gods that, they, that were living in their culture. And when we get to 1 Kings 17, we get this just immediately thrown into the story of Elijah. We get all, no background outside of where he's from. Zero background. All of a sudden, it's, here's Elijah. He's a prophet. He's going to say some stuff. It's going to get him in trouble. But he's appointed by God to lead the people back into his presence. And as we read the story, what we need to know as we go through the next five weeks in the scriptures that we're going to read is that Elijah was a prophet to the king Ahab. And what it says in 1 Kings 16 is that king Ahab was more wicked than any king that had come before him. King Ahab married a gal named Jezebel, and Jezebel worshipped a false god named Baal. And so when King Ahab married Jezebel, they brought that false god worship into the people of Israel and led the people astray in a way. And so in these moments when the king would falsely lead and not lead well, what we see is God raise up a prophet to try to hold the king accountable. Yes, chapter 16. And so what would happen is this prophet would be like God's, it sounds so weird, but like this covenant watchdog. This covenant that was made between God and Abraham, the prophet we raised up, hey, remember the covenant that God made with the people of Israel. Remember this covenant. Follow the covenant. The prophet would be raised up to help the king in a very bold way recognize his wrongs. And so we're going to start with this incredible story, and we're going to, over the next five weeks, just going to dive into Elijah. And I think this first week, as we talk about it, sets up why God moved in Elijah's life the way that he did. We're going to talk about just a simple idea as we learn to live as Christians, as followers of Jesus in a culture that seems very much against us. If we can follow the practices and be like Elijah, 
God will move in our life in significant ways for his glory. He will allow us to be a part of his kingdom advancement. He will allow us to be a part of him moving in the world. And this first week, we're going to talk about what does it look like to be humbly obedient as Elijah was. I'm going to go into three different aspects as we read 1 Kings 17 of how I think Elijah was humbly obedient and doing the simple and crazy things that God was asking him to do. So, you all ready? All right, three people. Praise the Lord. Let's go. 1 Kings 17. Open my handy dandy Bible. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, like I said, he just gets thrown in. No background, no nothing. He's from Gilead. That's it. So he approaches the king and he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. King Ahab, when he married Jezebel, brought in this false worship of a god, Baal. And what they thought of Baal and what they worshiped Baal as was this god of rain and this god who brought crops and fruit. And so for Elijah to come against Ahab and come to him and to say, there's going to be no rain in the next few years except my word brought incredible tension and death threats on Elijah's life. Prophet comes up against the king. God raises up a prophet to keep a king accountable because the king is leading the people of Israel astray. Verse two. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. The first aspect, the first reality in being humbly obedient to what God is asking us to do is for us, sometimes humility looks like suspending reason. First point, sometimes when God asks us to do things, we need to suspend reason. You read, hear what I just read. God comes to Elijah, says, go to this brook, and some birds are going to bring you a happy meal. That's what he said. He said, go to the brook, go to this ravine. Oh, we got some noise. I should stop moving around. That sounds kind of cool. Go to the ravine, and there's going to be these ravens who are known as unclean animals. And what they're going to do every morning and every day is bring you food. Listen, Elijah was given a happy meal by birds. This is insane. It, it would be if, <laughs> if I went to you guys and I came one, one Sunday night and I said, okay, guys, I know what's happening. You know, stuff is going on in the world. It's really dangerous. We're doing God's work, advancing his kingdom. But I feel like God is asking me to go down by the river, live in a van, and wait for birds to bring me a happy meal. That's psychotic. That's psychotic. You look at me and say, the guy they hired after the other Ben is, is crazy. Can we get the first Ben back? What is happening? Sometimes simple obedience, simple faith, humility, looks like us suspending reason. 
doesn't make any sense. There are things that God is asking you to do. There are things that God desires to do in your life that don't make any sense. And I think in life, what we need to realize and what we need to pursue and need to understand is that God is asking for us to desire trusting in him more than needing clarity. There are moments in your life where you want to ask the question, why? And I'm not saying that's bad. But a lot of time in life, you're not going to get the answer. And so I think there are moments, and in this life, God is asking for us to trust him more than to need clarity for the situation that comes up. When we were... Getting ready, um, me and my wife just got married. And when we were figuring out life, what was the next steps for us as we're married, she's trying to apply to grad school. And I know I'm called into the ministry and I don't know what that looks like. Uh, we had gotten asked by the f- very first Oasis pastor named Rick to go to Minneapolis with him. And he asked us to go to Minneapolis to help him plan a church. And when he asked, I thought that was psychotic because I had zero ministry experience. I knew I was called into local ministry and to being a pastor, local church ministry and being a pastor. I had no idea what that meant and what that looked like. I thought I needed schooling. I definitely needed schooling. But when he asked, there was something about it that just didn't make any sense. So I'm calling up my best friends and I'm asking, hey guys, can you like just pray about this for me? Can you give me some advice, like what am I supposed to do here? So Rick asked me over coffee if I want to move to Minneapolis with him. I mean, we're engaged at this time. We're not actually yet married yet. And I go to pick up Abby from like bioethics or something, which just sounds awful, unless you really like that, then I apologize. And I pick her up from her class and I'm taking her to her apartment and I'm about to say, hey, you'll never guess what Rick asked. I know we're getting married next summer, but... And as I'm getting ready to say this and to ask her just what she thinks, she goes, you know, I was, I was walking from class to class today and it was in, it was in this, um, man, it was in the fall of 2009. So it was nicer out. And she said, I was walking to class and for some reason I got like transported to downtown Minneapolis. I said, say that again? Brandon, will you hand me that mic? Huh? And so I asked her to say it again. And she said, yeah, I was walking to class and I just saw us walking in downtown Minneapolis. And I said, well, you'll never guess what Rick just asked me. And I told her, and, and now what you need to know, and I think what you guys have maybe figured out about me is I'm an emotional person who doesn't think about things and I just kind of say stuff without thinking. I'm a child. That's basically who I am. And my wife is the analytical, logical, just smart person of our family. She's the discerning voice of God in the midst of whatever is happening in our life. And so (laughs) I said, well, Rick asked us if we wanted to potentially go to Minneapolis to plant a church. And she looks at me and she goes, okay. (laughs) And I said, 
you're not going to ask me any questions. You're just okay with this. And we prayed about it. And I had zero peace about it. But there was something about her and the way that she just knew it was how God was leading us. That this move that would ultimately make us go bankrupt, because moving costs money. This move that would, would, would put us in a city that was way bigger than anything we were used to, because we're a small town, South Dakota kids. This move that would, would put us away from family, with people we love, that didn't make any sense. And as much as I wanted to keep asking why, to try to get clarity or to try to understand what was going to happen, there was something about my wife humbly receiving this ask, the peace that came about her, not needing to know what was going to happen or why we were being asked, but just trying to be faithful and obedient to what God was asking. Something about that gave me encouragement and it empowered me. Move, what was that, from then, eight years later, in this last March, I get a call from the next generation pastor here at the church named Steve Warner on my wife's birthday, March 4th. Yes, I remember. And he said, hey, <laughs> the Oasis pastor and his wife, uh, they're moving to, to Minnesota. We want you to apply. Now, again, I'm the child. And so I immediately, like, start crying because Oasis saved my life. God used Oasis and the people of, of this church to save my life. And I'm thinking, there's no way this is happening. This is insane. This is incredible. And I get off the phone and I'm sitting in the bedroom because I went into the bedroom. My wife was in the living room. <laughs> and I went there and I'm sitting in my bed. I'm like, wait a second. Things are going really, really good right now <laughs> where we're at. God is moving in the church my wife's job is going incredible. We're not looking to move or go anywhere. And we get a call to move not far away, but to do something that is absolutely out of my comfort zone. I'm, a nat I'm naturally more gifted as a worship leader. That doesn't mean I'm good. It just comes more natural to me. And so to come and lead a ministry and have to preach and teach every Sunday was completely out of my comfort zone. Something that I knew God was leading us into eventually. I didn't know it was going to happen as soon as it did. And in that moment, sitting in the bedroom before I talked to my wife, I have all these questions of why. Some doubting myself and me not being able to do it. Some wanting to know what this means for our family. What this means for my wife's job. And I go out there as the emotional child of the family. And I tell her, hey, you'll never guess what Steve just asked. And I told her, and she goes, hmm. And we started praying, because apparently that's what you're supposed to do. That was supposed to be funnier than it was. You guys just are not. And we're praying, and we're just like, God, whatever this means, I don't know. And I'm trying to like, I, I pray the prayer like, God, help me be just humble and do what you want to do. If this is for your will, all along trying to think like, dude, this is insane. This is crazy. Are we going to move our family? What is happening? What is going on? And as I'm praying, all of a sudden I hear my logical, analytical, genius, discerning voice of my wife start to cry. 
She's not a big crier. She cries sometimes, not as much as I do. And she's crying, and I'm like, I get to, and I like immediately stop the prayer, and I say amen, because that's when you're done. And I, look, and I look at her like, babe, nothing is happening. Like, what is going on? Like, what are you doing? She goes, I'm just starting to have all these thoughts in my head of what are we supposed to do with our kids? They have an incredible daycare. Well, how much, what job am I going to get? Selling our house and finding a new one, moving away from her family who are incredible, incredible people. And I go, yeah, but babe, nothing has been decided. And she goes, yeah, but I feel like you're supposed to do it. And we still had questions in that moment. We didn't know what was going to happen. And sometimes suspending reason. We, we, we tell our friends who didn't know Jesus and outside the church that we're doing this. And I go, why are you doing this? This doesn't make any sense. Things are going well. And sometimes simple, humble, obedient faith is suspending reason, moving forward and doing the thing you know God is asking you to do, not needing clarity and just trusting him. If you get nothing else from tonight, no matter what circumstance, what issue is going on, what God is asking you to do, pray for uh, trust more than clarity. Pray for trust in his goodness and his character and his faithfulness more than needing to know why. Sometimes God gives you the why. In my experience, a lot of the times I just had to be courageous and step boldly and faithfully into what God is asking. What is God asking of you? Where do you need to just suspend reason and move forward in humble obedience? So we'll get back to Elijah now. He's in this brook in this ravine. He's getting happy meals on the double every day, which is insane. It's incredible. And so much time has passed now remember Elijah said there's not going to be any rain until basically he prays for it. So much time has passed that this ravine dries up. And the ravine dries up and God comes again. So it says this in verse 7. It says, Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So we went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. She says, I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. A second aspect of being humbly obedient to what God is asking us to do is that we need to surrender pride. 
suspend reason, ask for trust in his goodness, character, and faithfulness more than clarity. The second aspect of what we see Elijah doing and how he is humbly being obedient and following God is that he surrenders his pride. And we see it actually in two different ways in this, um, in this picture. Sometimes surrendering pride is just admitting that we need help and that things aren't going okay. The widow could have, widow already had made up in her mind that her and her family were going to die. She'd already made it up in her mind. She's gathering sticks to make a fire, to cook some bread, eat it, and then they were going to die because they didn't have any left over. She could have used that, made it for Elijah, been obedient for some reason, given it to this weird, strange man. But she's honest. She says, you know what? We don't have a lot. What we do have is enough for me and my son, and we're going to eat it, and because we don't have any more after that, I know we're going to die because there's nothing left, because we're in a famine, because rain hasn't come. Surrendering, surrendering, surrendering our pride means admitting that sometimes things aren't going okay and asking for help. Another aspect of surrendering pride here we see from Elijah. Elijah could have very much, in his own will and his own power, gotten up, found some water, and gotten a drink. He decided to be obedient in simple faith to what God told him, hey, there's going to be a widow who's going to be able to provide for you. And the power of God was on display because he surrendered his pride and received from her what she thought was the very last of flour and oil to make a piece of bread, and God provided and sustained it until the rain came. When I this is hard for me. This one I struggled with. Uh, I don't know if it's a man thing or just a human thing or what, but I struggle admitting that something's wrong. I struggle asking for help. And very early in our marriage, my father-in-law knew this. And so he purposely found ways to try to help me financially, to try to help me spiritually, he would do whatever he could not to hurt my pride and, and bring me down, but to help me learn that it's okay to have others serve you and it's okay to receive from people. There was a time where uh, I was in, I was, we just got married. I, drew, I was driving at the time a two-door Dodge Stratus, which was awesome, uh, but a terrible vehicle. And I was driving it, and the brakes were going bad, and it was the classic, like, I'm not good at taking care of things. So every time I hit the brakes, it did the squeaky thing, and I knew something was wrong, but my pride didn't want to take it in because I didn't want to admit that I wasn't taking care of my vehicle. Yeah, that's the real thing. And he looked at me, he goes, see, I pulled up to his driveway, and he heard the car squeaky, and he goes, Ben, something's wrong with your car. I go, I know. Is he going to do do you need help doing something with it? It's like, no, we're going to figure it out. <laughs> Which wasn't true. I lied to him straight to his face. And I went inside and I don't know what happened, but within the hour, my car was magically gone and he had taken it in. And I asked Abby what happened to my car. And she goes, oh, dad took it in to see what's wrong with it. And, like, and I got mad. I like legit got frustrated. 
Like, that's not his job. It's my vehicle. I know it needs fixing because my pride was hurt. I got frustrated. I got angry. He fixed the car and he brought it home and he gave me the keys and he brought me into his office, which was like the most intimidating thing ever. And he said, Ben, listen, I love you. When I was young, just married Deanna, who's my mother-in-law. He said, Deanna's dad helped us a lot with different things. And what he taught me was, one, it's okay to allow yourself to receive from people because they want to bless you and they want to help you and they want to serve you and they want to love you. And two, there's going to be a moment in your life where you're going to be able to do the same for someone else. So just receive it and take it. This doesn't say anything about who you are as a man or as a provider or as a husband. Just receive it. You see, when we don't allow ourselves to receive from others, we, de- we deny the opportunity for God to move. If the widow would have kept quiet, they would have never seen the power of God on display to keep a little flour and a jug of oil continuously full when it shouldn't have been continuously full. How is God asking you to receive? Where do you just need to admit you need some help? I believe that the amazing things that we see doing in Elijah's life because he was humbly obedient in suspending reason and doing things when it didn't make sense and surrendering his pride, being able to receive from the widow and thinking of others more than himself, which is the next one that we're going to talk about. As we read on verse 17 through 24, it says this, some time later then, The son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? That's epic. (laughs) That's insane. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. And he cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and he said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Humble obedience and doing the things God asking us to do sometimes looks like suspending reason, surrendering our pride, and just serving faithfully. Based off of Elijah's prayer, we can see that he didn't expect this to happen, which makes sense. He didn't expect the widow to bring her son to him dead and then to blame him and his God for it. So instead of wondering why and thinking, he took the son who was dead up to where he was sleeping and served and loved and prayed. True humility, Rick Warren says, is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. In this moment, 
Elijah didn't worry about his reputation that she was attacking him as a man of God. Didn't worry about God's reputation and her attacking God and blaming him for the death of her son. He looked at what was happening in the immediacy of his life and in that moment. And he decided to do something about it. I'm going to go on a tangent. Jana, sorry. We do this thing where we're really good at telling people we're going to pray for them. And then we either don't pray for them or we just move on. And I think in the moment we have an intention of praying for them when they tell us of a story or something happening in their life and we, we just, there is compassion and there's mercy and we recognize that, that God needs to move in a situation. But what we do is I think we either deny the reality that the Holy Spirit has come in us because we said yes to Jesus, that we don't recognize that the Holy Spirit has enabled us and empower us to do the things that God is asking us to do, to bring the kingdom of God in the midst of every person's situation, every person's struggle and circumstance. And in those moments, what we do by saying, I'll pray for you and not stopping and just praying right there in the moment is I think we deny the power of God and the reality of what could happen for that person and for that circumstance and for that situation is we miss out by not serving faithfully, by not wondering what's going to happen, by not worrying about what the outcome is going to be, by just trusting that God is who he is, that we have the spirit within us, this dynamite power like we talked about a couple weeks ago that is within us to do these crazy radical things, not because of us, but because God is who he says he is. And he says, no, I've given you the spirit, not only to counsel you and help you and remind you of the things that I've taught you, but to be able to go and bring light into darkness and bring love to where there's hate and to break shackles and bring freedom and if we can just be humble and obedient and have simple faith and serve faithfully in those moments when people come to us and just stop and pray not worrying about an outcome not worrying about what is going to happen just trusting that God is who he says he is that those moments are not accidents. They're opportunities for God's power to be on display. And as we read and continue on in the series, as we see these stories of Elijah doing amazing things through the power of the Spirit, I think it can be traced to back to he was just humbly obedient in the things that God was asking him to do. He didn't worry about asking why when stuff came up. He didn't worry about his pride getting hurt. He served faithfully in any situation, in every circumstance. As we humble ourselves in obedience to God, he will use our lives for his purpose, period. I'm going to have the team come up. We're going to close with prayer and worship. And as they come up and as we go through prayer, I'm going to have three questions on the board. Three questions that I want you to wrestle with, to pray through. What's the one that God is just placing on your heart right now? In order for us to know exactly what to do, we have to really just rest and know what God is saying to us. And a lot of the really simple thing, I shouldn't say simple, 
the very, very clear things are in this book. If you don't know about what you should do in a certain situation or circumstance, go to the word. If there's not clarity or clear direction on what the word says, go to a friend who you know loves Jesus. We have leaders come to me, Jaina, or Brennan. We want to pray for you to allow you to recognize what God is trying to ask you to do. So the first question, what's God asking of you tonight? How in humble obedience do you need to just maybe suspend reason where the thing that God is asking me doesn't make sense? And start praying for courage and strength just to make that simple step of obedience. If you don't know what God's asking you, we're going to have people in the back praying. Which brings us to the second one. How is God asking you to receive? You got something going on where you just need prayer, where you need help, where you need God just to move mightily? Surrender pride and ask for help. It's okay. We all need it. That's why we're here for each other. And then who is God asking you to serve? Is it family member, friend, neighbor, roommate, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife? Who is he asking you to serve? And just serve faithfully trusting that God is who he says he is, that his goodness is still good despite the outcome of the prayer that you need to pray for that person, of the way that you need to serve that person. Oh, and I need to apologize to you guys because I have not done a good job at providing even opportunity for you guys to serve within the ministry of Oasis. And there's a difference between, I think, serving on a Sunday night or in our small groups or at our events versus simply serving in the circumstances and day-to-day stuff of life. Both are powerful and impactful. And God moves in both. But if you guys feel, not even feel, if you guys want to be a part of a service team in what we do here on Sunday nights and throughout the week, we have a connection card. Go ahead and fill it out and we'll contact you. But right now, think of who's in your life. Who's that person you just need to serve and love on and pray for? And then don't be afraid to go up to them. And say, God's put you on my heart. Is there anything that you need prayer for? And to serve faithfully is to not worry about the outcome of what is prayed for, even an outcome of what that relationship could end up like because you're worried or nervous that the relationship is going to change because you asked to pray for someone or ask and want to introduce Jesus to someone. Just serve faithfully. Trusting God is who he says he's good. I, I love you guys so much. I'm excited for what the next four weeks after tonight has and, and how we can look at the life of Elijah and and what he has for you guys specifically. But tonight, let's just promise together that we're going to do what we can in the power of the Spirit 
to just humbly obey God and the things that he's asking us to do. Can we do that together? As a community and body of believers who love Jesus, we're trying to figure out what it looks like to learn to live in a culture that is absolutely against us. Father, we thank you for tonight. You've put prayers and names and people, and I'm going to say places even, on our hearts tonight. There's, man, God, I believe there's people here tonight who you have asked clearly something of them, and they don't know why. And I'm going to ask now, God, through your spirit, that you would give them trust more than clarity. There's people here tonight, God, who are hurting, who need help. And in humility, would you just give them the courage to ask for that help? And we know, God, there's people in our life who you're asking every single one of us to serve faithfully. To pray for and to love on. To introduce to you, Jesus. And I'd ask in those moments that you would bring courage. And I'd ask even right now, Spirit, that you would move in those people's lives before we have those conversations. Now in my mind, God, my mother comes up who I love dearly and I know who, who you love, God, and I know who wants to love you back so much, God. Help me serve her faithfully for those people that you've placed on our hearts. Holy Spirit, give us courage. Thank you, Jesus.